Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. What's happening? Um, hey, before I go on, thank you to everybody who donated or who kind of chipped in for the um, raffle, the raffles, uh, where all the money went to the um, Aboriginal Legal Society of New South Wales and ACT. Together we raised $580, which was fucking fantastic. Um, yeah, I was, you know, it was a lot more than I expected. I, you know, yeah, I'm fucking over the moon that um that everybody chipped in or whoever chipped in chipped in. That's yeah, I'm I'm babbling. I'm sorry. I'll try not to keep it too long. Um, today's guest, Stu Ross from Comeback Kid slash Misery Signals slash Low Talker slash Living with Lions slash a bunch of cool earlier bands that um you probably haven't heard of unless you're from Canada then you may have heard of them. Um, none that I can remember off the top of my head. If you're from, if it's your first time listening, how you doing? Um, go back and check out a bunch of other episodes. Hope you dig them. If it's you, if this is your 50-something episode, because I'm not sure actually what episode this is, but it'll be in the description. Uh, welcome back, you know. Uh, get settled, get cosy. Um, before we actually do the episode, I just want to say that the My Age podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Podbelly Network, if in case you were wondering, if you haven't heard before, is basically a network of podcasts that kind of band together and um, have a whole bunch of. Well, it's a two-pronged. It's a two-pronged attack, basically. No, there's a whole bunch of info, and if you want to start a podcast and don't know how to, uh, there's a whole bunch of information um, on how to get going from what gear to have, what mics to have, what interfaces to have, and all that kind of jazz, of what you actually need. Um, and then how to get it onto the platforms and all that kind of jazz. Um, but then there's oh, pardon me, that was my phone. Um, then there was then there's also a whole bunch of um, really cool podcasts uh, like the, the All Things Star Wars podcast, which is you know is the greatest podcast in the galaxy. And who am I to argue? Um, the Ectoplasm podcast, uh, obviously the My Age podcast, which you listen to now. Nerds on topic, uh, Robots for Eyes podcast, whole, like. There's a whole bunch of really cool shit, and if you're into really cool shit, there'll be something there that you dig. Anyhow, moving forward, um, this episode is obviously always brought to you by Gringo Bandito, the greatest hot sauce in the world. If you're in, uh, if you're in North America, um, you can get it on Amazon. There's probably some independent places you can buy it from, but you can either go to gringobandito.com and get it directly from them, or Amazon probably can also be the easiest way to get it. Um, if you're in Australia. You can find it on eBay. Uh, you can also go to Gringo Bandit. Uh, sorry, no, blastoffimports.com. Um, and yeah, it ships from ships directly from there. Ugh, that's a lot to take in. Um, so before we do the episode today, I just I think I've shouted these guys out before. I'm not sure if I've played a song yet, but um, a really cool band from Perth called Rat King, which is a fucking cracking name. Uh, Rat King have got a new it's just a single out one jam it's fucking fantastic it's called No Justice there goes my phone again apologies for that um, it's you can go to ratking 3 the number 3 um, dot bandcamp.com uh, you can buy it I bought it you're about to hear it but you should also go buy it because it's fucking great and yeah just support fucking great music wherever it's from um, fuck before I go on um, right at the end of this podcast so yeah, a little fucking a little how the sausage is made kind of thing. Um, Stu is married to one of my closest friends, who I've been friends with for a year, uh, a year, sorry, about twenty years, give or take a year. Um, 
And so before we hit record, we chatted for ages, the three of us, and then we did the podcast. And then we were talking for that long, and I just kind of forgot that we hadn't actually talked about Stu's last song. Um, so Stu was gracious enough to record something for me just quickly, um, and I've just dropped it in at the end. Um, that kind of sums up where he is musically or what he's kind of listening to and getting down with at the moment. Um, so apologies for that. But, you know, you'll dig it. It's a fucking belter of a song. It's... I try not to be... I try to make this stuff evergreen, and this song is not is a very evergreen song. It came out probably 17 years ago, I'd say, dare say, 17, 18 years ago. Um, and it's literally still as relevant today as it was back then. Um, it's pretty fucking timeless. So I'll leave you with that little bloody Easter egg and, or whatever, and you can kind of wait till the end and check it out. Um... Thanks for listening this much. Uh, you know, eat Gringo Bandito hot sauce. Do the damn thing. Stay safe. Cool. My Age Podcast with me on the on the uh, FaceTime today, which is always a pleasure. 
I've got Stu Ross from um, Canada, from all the bands in Canada, all the coolest bands in Canada, excluding Propagandy. How you doing, mate? <laughs> Good, man. Good to see you. You too, you too. So um, I guess to kind of give it a da- – well, to reference it, we're in the thick of the coronavirus and everybody's at home. So, you know, good chance to catch up, have a chat, have a chinwag. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm home. Yep. I'm not going anywhere. You're not on tour. So I, I listened to just recently the, um, your episode of Oblivious Maximus and it was, it was kind of not, – not heartbreaking because, you know, because there's a lot of people in a lot of worse positions. But when we – we've been talking a lot – especially like when we hung out at Punk Rock Bowling last year and that kind of thing. And you've told me how cool your 2020 was going to be. <laughs> yeah. And all the things that you had planned um, with the bands you were touring with, and that's just been swept away. Yeah, man. It is. It has been annihilated. It's yeah. been blown to – it's it's dust. Yep. <laughs> it's dust in the wind. So <laughs> as, as it stands right now, I've, I'm still one up you because I've played on stage. I've played a face-to-face song on stage with Trevor Keith. So yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I know you were going to play disconnected with them. They don't know that yet, but you were going to play disconnected yeah. with them. Yeah, dude. Little did they know. Yeah, yeah it was going to happen. Um, yeah, it's actually crazy because what it, you said it's April nineteenth in yep. in Australia today, so it's the eighteenth here. Um, and the we still have not canceled the Punk and Drublick tour. Oh, really? That it began on May. 15th oh oh fuck really <laughs> right. yeah so um i mean obviously like the agents and and the bands are all aware of the circumstances and i think there's already like a contingency routing yeah okay. uh, you know rescheduled routing but as it stands they still haven't canceled it like they're like kind of holding out till the, the 11th hour here fuck and we'll, we'll see what happens but yeah that <laughs> you know i i saw you in january and we were Oh, that's right. We saw in January. We hung out in January. That's right. Yeah. And, and we were we were speaking about this, but it's just like, you know, um, I'm sure we'll touch on it more as we, we chat here. But, you know, that tour in particular, like the Punk and Drublick tour is, is super heartbreaking. Yeah. If it, if, it, if it gets canceled and just, you know, if it never gets rescheduled or something, um, for for me, that, that's like a big bucket list tour. So, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a little bummed about that. And then, yeah, on top of, on top of that, there's just, you know, between between comeback hit and misery signals, we had kind of uh, so I play guitar in both those bands, yep. and um, we had sort of like locked this year to like a total like science where it was like I was going to be on tour with one band, then I'd be home for like five to seven days, and I'd be out with the other band, then I'd be home for four days, and I'd be you know we just had everything like locked basically like April through October. Jesus, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, idea. All righty. So let's um, let's start them how we do. Tell us about your parents. Like, were they musical? Where were they from? And all that kind of jazz. Um. So my parents both are not musical by any stretch. Um. Yeah, I, my dad would kind of like tickle the ivories every once in a while, kind of okay. as a joke. We we had pianos when I we had a piano when I was growing up and he would, he would kind of clown around on it. I think he can play a scale or one or two songs, but, um, so my parents both, uh, grew up in the Edmonton area, Edmonton, Alberta area. Yep. Um, my dad was in a smaller town called St. Albert and my mother was in Edmonton. Um, they both grew up there 
but they didn't actually meet until they uh, were both living in the Yukon. Okay. Which is northern Canada. Uh, it's beside Alaska. Quick, oh, okay, right. So it's it's ice and snow. Yeah, well, no, it's not. It's not bad, man. It's actually like a it's, – it's a beautiful place. It's like a – Oh, it's it's totally like Canadian, you know. It's it's forests and mountains and um, yeah, it's what you would expect. It's it's northern Canada, <laughs> but yeah. So they they met up there. My uh, my mom was a nurse and my dad was in uh, insurance, and I don't know how they met or what circumstances. I think at a bar, if I remember correctly. But yeah, so it, other than you know, like. Like I said, my dad kind of clowning around on a piano when I was a kid. I, I don't think there's any uh, musical bone in either of their bodies. Was so. the was the piano just like a like a show like a showpiece or a furniture piece? Like, what, <coughs> or did they inherit it from someone and were too nice to say no? Like, why did they have it? <laughs> no, I think it was purchased for my my sister had been taking piano lessons. Okay, uh, I have an older sister. She's like three years older than than I am. Um, so I think they bought her a piano, uh, which she was playing when she was a kid. And, and, and uh, yeah, I took some piano lessons when I was younger, too. And, and that was kind of like the first instrument that was around our house, I guess. Yeah. So were that, we, was there much music around the house then? Like, were your parents avid fans of any kind of music? Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, um, there's, like, my mom listened to a lot of, like, kind of like, uh, there's like a few artists that stick out to me that are just kind of funny, like uh, the Pointer Sisters. Name uh, sounds so familiar, but I couldn't name a song. Um, I feel like they might sing that uh, "I Need a Hero" song. Okay, maybe okay. it was probably a cover. I assume I don't know. Uh, Robert Palmer for sure. Oh. There was always the Robert Palmer cassette. Um. Like simply, sim- simply irresistible, or like going further yeah. back than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Irresistible. Yeah. Um, the Doobie Brothers cassettes were always flying around, which is funny because when I was young, I was like, "That's a funny name," because I didn't know what a doobie was. But <laughs> yeah. now I'm like, "I'm like you rascals, you were listening to stoner music." Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, Doobie Brothers, uh, quite a bit. My dad was like into like terrible. Well, you know what. It's not terrible. It's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, he was into like Travis Tritt and. Uh, I'm going to um, guess that's Alan, country. Yeah, Alan yeah. Jackson. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yep. Um, I remember Elvis. My dad loves Elvis. Okay. Um, but other than that, yeah, like my house was very not music forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my parents, like, my mom loved uh, like musicals. Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff, you know, like, um, and so that was kind of like present. Um, like I remember my, my dad was in insurance and there was one time where I don't know how this worked out, but he was able to like bring our family to London. Um, he was there for work. And so we went to London cause we have some family in the UK. And then, so we did some, some visiting, and, but I remember we went to see, like, uh, we saw Starlight Express, and we saw Cats, and we saw Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> so that was, awesome. like, I think that was, like, a big thing for my mom. She was, like, real 
psyched about that. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so, uh, look, what kind of sums up a song from um, that kind of instinctively reminds me of your parents when you kind of, when it comes on the radio or whatever? Uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to roll with China Grove, Doobie Brothers. Okay. It's a rock, rock and tune. And just... Uh, any particular reason? Like that's what you hear, that's what you envision when you're going on car trips with your parents or something? Yeah, it just reminds me of like my parents had this like I want to say it was like a 1984 Chevy Blazer, and it was like it, it was like is that a cool car? Like it sounds pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it's like like one of the like earlier SUVs, I guess. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. But it was yep. like still compact. Like it was like two front seats a bench and then like room in the back to put some, some things back there. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we had like, it was like gold with like a chocolate Brown stripe that went around the thing. It was just this awesome, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. best vehicle ever. And I inherited when I was a teenager, Sick. when I was fine to drive, you know, it was like this old car that my parents weren't using. And, and, uh, so I got to drive that thing around for my teenage years, but as a kid, yeah, I can just remember the cassette deck doobie brothers tapes cassettes and uh yeah so i would i would pick china grove just because i associate that with uh with that era i suppose
how old are you? How old are you? I'm 37. Right. So your sister's about 40 ish. She turned 41 on the 13th. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, she was obviously a big impact. Like, I guess one of the concurring themes is if you've got an older sibling, chances are they were a huge influence on your music. Um, yeah. Yeah. That I guess that's the same case with your older sister and you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she just, I guess it's just like when you have an older sibling and especially when they start getting into like naughty things yeah. and you're young and impressionable, you like, you want to like know what it's all about, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so like, I can remember her, like, you know, she had uh, red hot chili peppers, blood sugar, sex magic. And just like that title in itself. Yeah. If you're like a, you know, I would have been like, well, it oh, came out in 91 or two. Yeah. So yeah. So, I'm like 11 years old and I'm like, blood, sex, sugar. (laughs) Sugar's mad, yeah. (laughs) Like all these things. Uh, But yeah, so obviously like her listening to that was like a bit of an influence. And, you know, she was really into Pearl Jam. Um, But it was funny because she had like a a bunch of like like odd things. Like, you know know that band Mr. Big? Yeah, Be With You. She had like Mr. Big tapes and stuff, which I'm just like, what? (laughs) Like you were listening to this? Um. But yeah, so the, that kind of like, she definitely like exposed me to, I guess like my first sort of taste of alternative music or was you she know. was she kind of rolling around with like badder kids or like you know or like was she I mean not to say you know you'd never want to say you, your siblings are normies or whatever but like was <laughs> like was it was was it at a time when like everybody was listening to Pearl Jam at that age or like was it still kind of like a no it was still like it was still like a alternative yeah thing to be doing you know like yeah they weren't quite you know they weren't like huge bands at that point they were they were still semi underground bands at that yeah. point yeah and and also like where I lived you know like Edmonton, Alberta, um, is, is relatively remote, you know, Canada's very spread out much yeah. like, um, I mean, it's a big country. Um, so at that time, like, you know, even if something was like possibly bigger in sort of like hotbed cities, you know, yeah. uh, in Edmonton, like it still was probably off the radar, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so although, you know, like you know, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, or Pearl Jam Tan or something. Those are big records that had huge success, but, you know, what early on, those were probably still, you know, underground at a, at a point. Was there, like, were, like if you were buying music, was there, like, the one spot to buy music from, or, did, like, yeah. was the kind of stuff relatively accessible? <clears throat> yeah, when I was a kid, so there was, like, a, uh, I think it was called Top 40. Okay. Uh, record store in the mall. Um and my like tape collection was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, it was like, like yeah, like Phantom of the Opera double cassette. And then I remember like the first whatever. Uh, I don't know why I had the opportunity, but the first cassette that I ever bought, like single, was the Michael Jackson Black or White uh, single cassette. The, the single. That's awesome. The single. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, is that what? Is that? Is that what you guys would call them? Cassing, yeah, yeah. Like, I never bought them because I'd always go for the CD version. Yeah. Like, or and if I like, yeah, I'd either buy the single 
as a CD or yeah, I'd, or alternatively, I'd I'd request the album. But yeah, like it was a it was a very quick from my memory down here. It was a very quick like quick alternative, I guess, in between records and CDs. Mm-hmm. You could buy the cast single. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just HMV clever marketing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't buy many. I think that might be the only one that I ever owned. It came in like a cardboard sleeve as opposed to a plastic case. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like, you know, when I was sort of trying to figure out music, I, I bought that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, like, we're, so we're very, very similar age. Black or white was, I mean, Michael Jackson was fucking massive anyhow. But, like, that was the next evolution. That was his next evolution. Like... Yeah, because he, you know, they had the technology to to do those fucking ridiculous film clips. So everybody, <laughs> everybody kind of bought in on, like everybody kind of souped it up. If that makes sense, like, oh, shit, that video was where it's just like a morphing body. Right? Yeah, right at the end, it was all that. Yeah, yeah, and then like there was, I remember, fuck, down here, I remember being at a cousin's house, and there was like a a half an hour. Like TV special sponsored by Pepsi, and you know mm-hmm. Saturday night at like seven o'clock or something like that, where they talked about the single and the album and Michael Jackson da 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 da, and then they were like, and now we're gonna do a premiere at the film clip, and the film yeah. clip was this fucking, it was like the film clip or whatever, and it changes faces, and then there was this extended bit where Michael Jackson, I'm sure it was Michael Jackson, then turns into a jaguar. <laughs> yeah, then yeah, walks yeah, onto yeah, the car did. and then fucking just beats the car up for like, like it was a 15 minute film clip. Yeah. That's the enormity of it because it's like, well, we now have this technology where it's no longer, you know, <laughs> a, a, a live or like a fake live singing thing. It's like this fucking masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. Do you also remember, and I, I, I hope I'm not wrong. There's a part of that clip where it's just Macaulay Culkin rapping on a stoop yeah yeah um, yeah it's not him rapping like, on the cd but yeah it's him rapping like on a, a yeah. like chair uh, it's a stairs or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's just on like a, a doorstep yeah uh which is just totally hilarious because like yeah. why why because he was why? he was at the start <laughs> of the song oh is it yeah oh okay so in the film clip there's um there's a oh, fuck we're getting deep with michael jackson here there's a um the kid just fucking listening to Michael Jackson oh, and his yeah. dad banging on the door going, fucking turn it down, da-da-da-da-da. And he comes in and goes mental at him. And then, like, Macaulay Culkin goes, oh, yeah, eat this, and fucking cranks it, hits play, and then the dad shoots off into the, into space on his armchair. <laughs> so then, yeah, Michael, then Macaulay Culkin makes the reprise with that, yeah, that weird rap thing, yeah. Man, I got to go back and... and uh and watch this video after. It's, after shit, it's, we, it's, <laughs> it's just the shit that was ingrained into me as a kid. You know, I can't yeah. help it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not so embarrassed then if it's if it's deep in your DNA oh, dude, as well. <laughs> it's it's well in there, and I'll never get rid of it. I'll never get rid of it. So I also heard um your uh, early album you bought was um the pocket full of kryptonite. Um, oh yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> was that your own short? Like, was that your own discovery, or was it a radio yeah, because, thing? Or I mean, yeah, I I probably saw the video for Two Princes or yeah. heard the the song on the radio, and uh, dude, that song is sick. It's fucking know. great. It's, it's, it's fucking it's, great. It's a classic, like 
it's the classic formula for like a, a radio single. Yeah. It's it's a rock and tune, man. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I, uh Yeah, no, I I think I thought that was cool. Like I thought maybe that was like you know, like at first it was Michael Jackson. I was like, okay, this is kind of edgy. And then yeah. it was Spin Doctors, you know, and then that was pretty darn edgy. And then, uh, you know, from there, then I then I got into the real hard stuff. But um, yeah. so before you okay, I did, I did purchase on? a Spin Doctors cassette. Yeah. Look, I don't know why I wouldn't have, but two, what were the two singles on that? Two Princes and Little Miss Can't Be Wrong? No. Yeah. yeah, was that the single? Little Miss, Little Miss, Little yeah, Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were fucking sure. massive hits down here. Yeah, I remember that shit. Um, cool. So is there a song that kind of sums up the uh, like the 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 stew years before he became like the little punk rock kid? Oh shit. Um, oh, it just depends how bad you want to punish people. Do Dude. you want to make make them listen to Spin Doctors or do you want to make them listen to Michael Jackson? Dude. Like I'd go, it's, I don't view either of those as punishment. I do not uh, like, you know, that's a reward. Right. That's a reward. Let's pick the lesser of two evils and go with two princes.
are you like you obviously you're playing you play guitar now and have played in several bands of, of the last kind of 15 20 years mm-hmm. um did you pick up guitar at an early age or was like guitar something that you kind of thought of pursuing or like how does that come about yeah so like i said i was playing piano as a kid and then around that time um you know, it was when I started getting exposed to music or I guess exploring music that was available to me. And uh, I, I don't think I ever really thought about playing music until I kind of got into, you know, some of the more like staple foundations of my, of who I am musically, you know, like I got into Metallica and Pantera and then shortly thereafter Green Day. And, um, so when I saw, you know, when I heard those bands, um, that's probably when I started to want to play music myself. Yeah. Um, so from playing piano, I then, I wanted to play bass and my parents were just like, (laughs) you know, you never commit to anything, you know, like I, I, my parents wanted me to play a lot of sports and stuff when I was a kid and I just, I just didn't like doing that stuff. I just, I'm not competitive in that sense. And, um, so, yeah, it was for me. I, I wanted to play uh, bass. I was like, yeah, bass is cool. Uh, I feel like all my other friends were wanting to play guitar, or drums, and things like that. So I was like, I'll just I'll play bass. I thought Jason Newstead was cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought my dirt was cool, and I was like, yeah, bass is a cool instrument. So then, I uh, yeah, I started playing bass. Uh, I got a Fender uh, P bass. It was black. Yeah. And Classic. it didn't last. It didn't last longer than like six minutes in my house before it was. There was a ten foot pole sticker on the pick guard. Yeah, and... fuck yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so how did you? So how do you go from um, like, what was it that made you go from like Green Day? Uh, sorry, from um, like Pearl Jam and Red Hot Chili Peppers and that kind of thing to to um Metallica as opposed to like going a Green Day route because like you're kind of sitting in the middle of, like, it's aggressive music, but it's poppy and melodic and da-da-da-da-da. What was it? Do you remember why you went to Metallica first as opposed to Green Day? Like, was it because uh, Metallica was more ex- accessible or it was you enjoyed the aggression of it? Uh, no, it was it was skateboarding, to be honest. Okay. So I, I like, uh, I was, like, drawn to skateboarding and, and not because I was ever good at it. I was never good at skateboarding, but yeah. I think I liked... Uh, the aesthetic of skateboard companies. I liked yeah. the art. I liked the t-shirts. I liked the style. Um, and then little did I know, I liked a lot of the music that was um, sort of... Accompanying it. Yeah, at that time. So, um, yeah, so basically I started skateboarding and then my friend's older brothers were like into like Metallica. So that's when I first heard like... Uh, you know, I had heard like Enter Sandman and stuff when I was in shit i would have been in like elementary school yeah um but you know when i when we were in like junior high school and i was, started skateboarding hanging around with like some like uh what we would call like skids dudes that, that were into heavy metal and stuff um skids they were, okay skids yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they but yeah metallica that's they they were into metallica so i was instantly like drawn to that and then um you know hearing like Master of Puppets and Injustice for All and stuff. I was like, wow, this is really cool. It's like fast and really aggressive. And then I can remember being at 
that same friend's house and we were they had a trampoline in the backyard and uh a new level by pantera came on fuck yeah <laughs> and i just remember being like what the fuck is this yeah. holy shit um and then i kind of just heard green day through i don't know if it would have been like uh if i saw it on tv or if i heard it on the radio or what uh it would have just been basket case yeah um but yeah that was like a total game changer for me because i, I liked metallica and i liked pantera and stuff and it was really heavy and aggressive and i thought that was cool but um for me, like, a, you know, hearing, hearing Green Day for the first time, it was like, it still felt like different and aggressive and cool and unique. Um, but it wasn't heavy metal, you know? And I was like, what is this? I like this. It's melodic. It's more melodic. It's like, uh, I don't know. I was just drawn to it. I can't, I can't really like put into words exactly what, yeah. what it was. And was it Dookie or? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can remember again, like seeing like some like skateboarder dudes that were old, a couple of years older than me. Like uh, Green Day had just played, so there was like dudes with like Dookie Old concert. T- yeah, yeah. And uh, I, again, like the artwork. You yeah. know, it's it looked like skateboard art or something at that time, and 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 I remember just being like, "Whoa, what is this?" And and then hearing hearing Basket Case or whatever, I would have heard, and then I bought the CD. You know, probably within the hour. Yeah. That's that's fucking great, um, and then from from Green Day, like kind of was it? How do you go deeper? How did you end up going deeper on like pop punk with Green Day? Like, was it something you kind of naturally gravi- gravitated to, or it was harder to find because of because of age restrictions and like, I guess like yeah, age. definitely. It, I think I think it was happening all around me. I just I just didn't have a way to access it. Yeah. Um, so what? what I can remember is um, there was a TV show that was like kind of like an alternative um, video showcase show called The Wedge. Okay. Um, that was on Much Music. Uh, and they would play like, you know, every once in a while there'd be like a punk rock video on there. Um, so, and I'm not completely sure if I went, actually, no, I am pretty sure that what happened is I saw the video for Soulmate. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No use, no use for a name yep. was on that. Um, and then, so I think I bought that CD, and then I opened up the liner notes. Yep, as you do. Like, like every good record from that era, <laughs> there's a list of 50 other bands you should oh, check dude, out. absolutely. Um, so, like, and I don't know if my timing is off, because if, if I'm incorrect with this, but definitely... Uh, Leech Con Carn, uh, or, uh, dude, I'm so bad. Leech Con Carne, how do you even say yeah, that? Yeah, Leech Con Carne, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, milk, yeah. And, milk and meat. Milk and meat, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so I bought that record, and I studied the liner notes, or it was that, or I remember getting Rancid Let's Go and Pennywise About Time uh, from a record store on a road trip with my dad, because he was obviously just trying to keep me entertained, so... yeah. Uh, but I, I'm not sure which came first. I want to say it was No Use for a Name came first. Yeah. And then from that is where I started picking out all the other bands. Uh, which, you know, then would have been Rancid, Pennywise, Face to Face, yep. um, No Effects, yeah. stuff. So with with the bass, like, did you, was playing, like, was playing in a band ever a, um, a consideration 
when you're at that age or was just like, hey, these guys do it. I just want to do it to make a racket. Like, um, Or like, did you have I many was, friends playing guitar or like to, to actually yeah, play so, along with? Yeah. Again, like they were, they were just playing like Metallica songs. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and like Black Sabbath. Um, really like, you know, none of my friends listened to punk or were seeking it out actively like the way I was when I, when I first got exposed to it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the dudes that I was playing music with or playing guitar with in bedrooms and stuff, you know, these are dudes in cannibal corpse t-shirts and, (laughs) and, you know, listening to like Slayer and shit, which, you know, I, I like both those bands, but not the same way that I like bands like Green Day and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I, I, I wasn't like, yeah, I, I want to be in a band until, um, I feel like there was this, again, I like, I feel like I don't want to like confuse my own history, but so there's a band from Vancouver called DBS. Yes. D dot B dot S dot, uh, dirty black summer, I think is what they at one point claimed it was. I'm not sure yeah, if right. that is okay. what it um, cause they, they always get name checked by like, I feel like every Canadian I ever speak to reference, oh, dude, references them. Like never heard they're them. They're an amazing band. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, we could go on like a, a little <laughs> sidebar about them forever, but like when I was, ex- when I first heard DBS, they had a, a song for a video called Snowball. And this song is on a record called Tales from the Crib. And when these guys put that record out, they were probably like fourteen or fifteen. Okay. How and, uh, if just for context, how, were you like were you aware of like were you the same age or like how old are they? What like Yeah, yeah, uh well Jesse Gander, who sang for the band, uh, who's like a producer here in Vancouver, um, who we kind of run in similar friend circles. Uh he's probably like two or three years older than I am. Okay. Um so it wasn't Maybe? like it wasn't like they were fourteen in nineteen eighty five. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, so he, here's here's some uh, context to that. I went to see Rancid on Outcome the Wolves, and it was Rancid, AFI, who were touring on uh, Answer That and Stay Fashionable at the wow. time. Wow. Okay. When it, when it was on Wingnut, not even on yeah, Nitro. Yeah, Nitro. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, DBS opened the show. Okay. It was supposed to be seaweed, which is super weird to me. Are they uh, are they from that part of the world or Seattle? Uh, wait, no. Yeah, I think they're from Seattle. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, I, I don't know if they were on the whole Rancid tour because that seems like a weird support band to me. Maybe they were just on like these Western shows. Uh, but anyway, they I, they didn't play Edmonton, so I assume they didn't play Vancouver either. Yeah. But uh, so DBS played anyway. So let's roll back. So DBS had this video for this song called Snowball. I saw it on TV, and I remember thinking, like, oh, these are, like, young dudes. That's really cool. And then I went and saw Rancid, and I saw this band open, and I was like, holy shit. These dudes are, like, not much older than me. Yeah. And they're, like, on tour with Rancid. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, so that was, like, oddly enough, a big inspiration for me to uh, try and start a band, you know? So I, 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 I played with some friends, and... Uh, I was always just playing bass and stuff. And then it got to the point where I was like, none of my friends are writing music and it's fun to like learn and play other people's songs. But like first step to being in a band is starting to write your own music. So I, I just started playing guitar at that point. Was it an easy crossover for you? Like, or you just played cheap power chords and off you went? 
Yeah, for sure. Because I think I, I had already kind of like understood how to play guitar before I played bass. Uh, okay. I could already do power chords and stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'll play bass. Um, cause I only have to use one finger at a time. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah. And then, yeah. So I just, I just started playing guitar out of almost out of necessity, I suppose. Yeah. So around that time where, um, like when I guess Rancid out come the walls come out in like 95, 90, well, yeah, 95 was Edmonton like a, a big tour destination. Like, I mean, I know it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's not con- it doesn't seem convenient to tour there, especially if you've got to drive. Like, um, were, were bands it, still kind of making the trip there or? Yeah, for sure. And it's it's not actually so bad when you consider, like, if you were a band from California and you came all the way up to Seattle and then you played Vancouver, uh, and then if you were trying to get across to, say, like, Toronto or something, yeah, you know, you can hit Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, uh, there's you know five or six cities that you can hit across Canada, um, so bands would do it and and like to give you like some insight. I remember like you know I went to see that. So the first show that I ever went to see. So you know what I did just fuck up my own history. Right? <laughs> Light That's the, okay. first, the first show that I ever went to see was a like a hall show. Well, the first like punk show, the first yeah, real yeah. punk show, um, was Anti Flag with DBS. Okay. A band from Calgary called the Everyman, who are fucking sick, yeah. by the way. <laughs> uh, like to this day, they have an LP called "Sit on It," and I put it on. Uh, Cresswell was staying at my place like a little while ago, and we got we had some drinks, and I was talking about this record, and I spent like an hour trying to play this record because my record player broke. Anyway, so first show that I, I went to uh, was Anti Flag, DBS, Everyman. This band called Race Trader, not like metalcore Race Trader. Uh, but a band that was from Edmonton called Race Trader, um, and this band called Misdemeanor, who eventually were called Our Mercury, They're like a pretty cool band. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so to answer your question, I went to that show uh, when I was, you know, in junior high school, or whatever that was, and then I had sort of my first taste. You know, I put my finger in the pie, and I was like, "Damn, this is awesome!" Uh, and then right after that, you know, I saw Rancid with AFI and DBS. Uh, there was a tour that was no use for a name, 10 foot pole, high standard mock right after that. It was face to face bouncing souls, automatic seven. Um, shit. What else did it like? These are like, these were all within like six or eight weeks of yeah. each other, you know? Just, so like, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden I was just like, this is happening all the time all around me. This is crazy. Like boom, you know, like my yeah. mind exploded, you know? Um, so, yeah, bands were playing there. <laughs> that's fucking. That's so cool. Yeah, because um, I always, for some reason, I always just assumed that it was. I mean, and maybe it's maybe it's this way now because bands require more money because no one's buying as many records or whatever. But like, I just assume that like, I mean, you're not smack in the center of Canada, are you? You're you're. Oh, sorry, not you, but Edmonton's kind of west-ish. Yeah, it's it's. It's not West Coast, but it's yeah. Western Canada. Yeah. I always assume that, like, yeah, well, nowadays I feel like it kind of, it seems like kind of place where people would just go, nah, let's just do the coast and not worry about the center. So, you know, it, it's a good thing, if, especially if you're, you know, you're young and there and that's kind of happening, that it's happening in a really big way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See. So let's quickly talk about AFI then. 
like okay. <laughs> like on that ranted tour, did because like you know I'm, a, I'm guessing you like AFI as much as I do. Were they oh, like yeah. what was what was your takeaway from that? Like dude, did okay. it, did it hit I, much or like yeah 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 dude I, it was crazy. I mean I bought their record that night yeah. after seeing, and I mean this is when AFI was still like a snotty poppy yeah. punk band, you know. Um, and I can remember like. I don't know if I'm making this up, if I just, like, <laughs> want to believe this happened. But I, I'd, like, I can remember, you know, like, Davey was wearing, like, a, you know, like a tank top. Yeah. You know, the, I don't even know, undershirt. Singlet. I don't know what the, I don't, it, sing, but, you know, you can't call it a, a, a WB. Oh, no, 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 yeah, uh-huh. yeah, call it a singlet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, like, suspenders. Yep. Suspenders. And I remember the bass player, the guy that was in Tiger Emulator, Jeff... I don't know how to pronounce his last name. No. Uh, yeah, I can't But he, he was playing a bass that had no headstock, and Good. I thought that was... Dope. Yep. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, like I said, I think they were, like, playing so hard. I swear I remember, like, Davey, like, puked on stage. Okay. And I, and I remember being like, ah, this is so punk, dude. Like, it's so cool. Um, but I also might be making that up. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, it, seeing that band was like a, a crazy thing. And and because I didn't really understand like the punk scene just yet, I guess. Um, and I was just like an excited young kid. I remember getting the bass player. He signed my ticket stub. Fuck yeah. And I, you know, I took it home and I put it in the, the, the tray of the CD um, and I think I still have it. Like yeah. it's, it would still be all my. I was just gonna say all my CDs are packed away in my parents' garage. Yeah. But then I was like, hope, hopefully no one is listening and breaks yeah. in and steals all my <laughs> CDs, man. But uh, well, your parents live yeah. in Toronto now, so they can try to look. I'm making that up. I don't know where they live. Let's <laughs> yes, just say they live in Toronto. They've moved back to the Yukon. Yeah, it's right. Where it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. All right. So let's. Um. Oh, actually, before we go on. What was like? What was your parents' reaction to kind of to this stuff? Like, were they were, were they kind of paying? It, I mean, not to sound dismissive of what you you know your parents and their parenting skills, but like, were they not too fast because you know it wasn't Metallica and that kind of thing, or like where were they with the music you were listening to? They they were never. Um they never really tried to regulate or censor what I was listening to. Okay. I can, I do remember one specific instance where, um, offspring smash. I was playing it in the car when my mom was driving me somewhere Yep. and self-esteem was on. Okay. And I remember her, like her saying like, this is terrible. <laughs> like these lyrics, like not the music, but the lyrics, she's like, these, yeah. the lyrics are bad. And I hope you don't take these lyrics to heart, I hope you don't, like, associate your feelings with these feelings, because, like, you know, you, your parents don't want you to think that you're a ugly little kid, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they don't want you to, you know, like... Yep. So my mom was like, you know that this is, like, somebody else is writing this. This isn't, like... This isn't a playbook. You, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... um, And I think she, you know, she was right in saying so, but at, at the same time, you know, because I was a little kid, but... um. No, they were always really cool about it. I mean, like I said, I, you know, there was a road trip uh, I, I went on with my dad at some point. And like I said, I can remember buying, uh, well, I didn't buy it. He bought me uh, 
rancid let's go and and pennywise about time probably to keep me busy while we were driving you know yeah uh, and i remember listening to to let's go in the in the car and be telling my dad like wow like this bass player is really good can you hear the bass player and he's like i can't even i don't even know there's a bass in there like he's like well, i don't need this is just nonsense and i was yeah. like yeah okay sweet you know but um you know in retrospect to this day my dad is probably still like my biggest supporter in everything i've done so that's fantastic kudos to him you know and, and yeah so no they were they were cool with it they, they were always like really they, they were they were i think they were just happy that i was interested in something yeah. you know yeah no that's that's awesome cool yeah. have, have you got a song that kind of you know when you think about 13 to 15 year old stew like a song that kind of wave the flag of you know what you what you associate yourself with damn dude i feel like we've talked about so many cool bands in like the last like seven minutes that i don't even know like how to pick i i feel like because this is like an uh, an australian podcast that i should like maybe pick, pick something pick friends or wrong no like something deeper that we're talking about there like a deep oh, Canadian okay yeah, yeah. Like, a DB, like a dbs song or a uh an everyman song if i can find everyman okay uh I don't even know if Everyman are on Apple Music or Spotify. Uh, let's take a moment and I'll look. Shit, man, I don't know where to go with this. Um, what about a DBS song? Oh, dude. Uh, shit. Let me, is DBS on um, Spotify? Uh, yep. Really? What album? Let me look. I is, I is, I is for Insignificant. That's okay. Um, yeah, so that record's actually cool. Okay. Uh, it was released on Joey Shithead's label, Sudden Death Records. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, Vancouver. Um, you know what? The first track is pretty ripping. Yeah, just do that.
Alrighty, so you change over to guitar. Mm-hmm. Did like did doors open to for playing in bands like more original music? Like how does that kind of are, are you still stuck like hanging around people playing like Metallica and Sabbath and that kind of thing? Yeah, uh, definitely. Like so, in junior high school, like my friends had a band. Uh, I think they were called Desecration, which is a pretty sick name. Of course they um, were. Yeah, <laughs> but they would basically just cover like. <sighs> like easy like i remember they did like some six feet under covers and they did like some easier slayer songs if that's a thing yeah. uh, and then they would do like sabbath covers and stuff but i had some friends that like would jam like nirvana and stuff like that okay um and i would kind of like i would kind of just hang around like i you know i again like none of my closer friends were into like sort of like well i guess like punk so like nobody really wanted to like start a band with me so i would just kind of like force it on people when yeah. we'd like get together to jam you know um but uh kind of like a funny little realization i just had right now uh much like every other band i just kind of like forced my way into a band when i was a teenager because <laughs> um, there was a band called pressure point and they were just like a like a, not to be mistaken with the, the California uh, street punk band, Oi Band. Yep. Um, this was just like a crappy garage skate punk band from from St. Albert. Um, you know, really like into like, you know, taking taking a lot of cues from um, Ten Foot Pole, The Vandals, Strung Out, uh, bands like just, you know, Epitaph Fat Bands. Yep. Um, so... Yeah, they were a three-piece, and my parents were, like, I had a drum kit and stuff, so my parents were, like, cool with me making noise at home. That's cool. Uh, So, I think I just kind of was like, hey, you guys should let me play guitar. You can rehearse at my house. And I think that's kind of how I kind of started started playing with them that way. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of, like like forced my way into that band and then i was like okay well i'm gonna start writing songs for you guys and then yeah the um i'm always impressed by people who say like at a younger age they wanted to write Mm. like i feel bad's probably not the right word but like when i was younger i just was like well let's let's just do covers like because they're fun and they're easy and but um i i just didn't have that and yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad thing because I think most people don't, but, like, I never had that thing in me, especially at a younger age, to actually write stuff. I never thought I could do it. Yeah. I just never tried. Like, and even nowadays, like, I still, I can't write something by myself. If you, you put me in a room with a guitarist and a ba- and a drummer, then I can quickly, like, I can kind of say, hey, you do this and I do this and da-da-da-da-da. But, like, I can't sit at home by myself and just, you know put something yeah. together and, and hear it all kind of come together. So yeah, I think it's really cool at a younger age that that was your, that that was kind of where your direction was. Yeah. And it, it's a funny thing. Like I've, I've, I don't think I could play you, uh, any song from a band that I'm not in Yeah, right. uh, all, all the way through on guitar. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I don't think I've ever learned like an entire song. Well, that's well, that's not true because I mean I've done like cover cover shows or cover bands and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I remember like in maybe like in the last like five years I was just bored and I was like, 
I'm just going to play along to like Green Day Insomniac by ear. And yeah. I was yeah, able yeah. to just kind of like play through that whole record just because I knew it, where the well, programs were going. Yeah. But yeah, like if, you know, like there's a lot of guitar players out there, like, you know, at a show, somebody's like sound checking and they're just playing like some sick riff from another band or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, literally, when I sound check, I'm like sound checking the songs we're going to play because it's like <laughs> I just don't know anybody else's song. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. you didn't have. I'm surprised you don't have like a go-to riff, like a go-to sound check riff. You know, sometimes I like be pre-tour or something. I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna learn this riff. Like I remember learning like a Rush riff. Okay, um, right. Okay. Yeah. What is it? It's the. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did learn a Rush riff, and then I learned. Um, I think there's another song, uh, Kansas. Uh, I can't remember what the song is called, but it's like. I know exactly the song you're talking about. I couldn't tell you what the fuck it is, but I know the riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I think I was just stoned one time and I heard that it was like on the credits of a movie or like something. And I was like, whoa, that part rips. And like RTM <laughs> Kyle, uh, who also plays bass and Misery Signals, he's like a big classic rock guy. And I was like, dude, Kansas rips. And he's like, yeah, duh. And, and so like, I, I like learned that riff. Um, just based on that uh yeah so much info i'm sorry that's all good no that's what we're here for well that's you know uh, that's a lot of what we're here for so then <clears throat> pardon me um you you've joined this band playing originals did that last long or was that just like a like what 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 happens from there like who are you playing in front of and a school putting on like are you playing backyard parties or is school giving you the opportunity to play at lunchtime or yeah so there was definitely like talent shows when i was in junior high school and I remember, like, um, again, so, like, some of those guys that I was playing with, you know, they were playing Nirvana covers or Metallica, um, Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And then um, I just started, like, like kind of, like I said, forcing some, like, punk songs into there, whether it was a, a rancid cover or something like that. Yep. Uh, so we'd do, we'd do that stuff in junior high school. But, when it, sorry, when I started playing with Pressure Point, um, it was actually pretty easy to start playing shows because um, St. Albert, uh, every year they do this show, like a community hall show called the Christmas Disco. Um, and there was like, there was some bands in St. Albert that were like local bands. There was a band called Perceptual Distortion um, that were just like a heavy metal band. And there was another like, sort of their like, brother band or whatever like punk band of the same size in the in the in the city was this band called no incentive um so these bands would play all the time so it was it was relatively easy for us to like play shows yeah cool uh, also like i'm totally skipping a part of my teenage history Go where i was it. like light on into, me. like i was i went through like a like real like punk phase where i was like playing like like in like like punk bands you know where we were like you know, we had like oxymoron patches and mohawks, yep. and um, I played in a band called the Symbiotics, which is like the worst name for a band <laughs> ever. It sounds like a science nerd name, you know. Yeah. Like, um, but you know, and I wrote a, pretty much all the music for that band because uh, I was the guitar player. Um, <clears throat> so I was in that band before I was in Pressure Point. So I'd already been playing shows, yeah, cool, um, like local punk shows, um, and then you know, pressure point before I was in was playing sort of these, um, like Christmas hall shows or like whatever. Um, and then 
yeah, I don't know. Just around that, you know, when I started playing with him, we just started playing like every weekend kind of thing and, and started playing with more local bands and, and being more involved in the punk scene at the time, I guess, in the city. Yeah. Were, were there many supports kind of, or were there many bands going like vying for supports or were, were touring bands kind of not really giving that option to locals? No, we were doing we were doing more lo- local shows. Um, yeah. The only like big show pressure point I ever played, we opened for S and a few once, but okay. I mean, um, really between like uh, probably like nineteen ninety seven and like two thousand one, the only band in Edmonton that ever opened shows was Choke. Um, oh, that's right. They're from <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 right. But I mean, because they were like a touring band. Yeah. Um, and they were probably like. I assume that they were friends with some of these bands and stuff like that, but you know, like choke basically opened like, you know, if it was a fat band, epitaph band, something like that, yep. like choke, was, choke was playing the show. It was just, it was just like, it was like, it was like law. It was punk law. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was just the way it was. It was just, ha- that was, what was hap- that was what was happening. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think they were just like the only skate punk band that was like really good yeah. in the city. Yeah. So when did you start kind of having a red hot crack at, playing music and you know how do you get from playing in pressure point and like local and pretty much only locals to kind of breaking out of edmonton uh it's a very long story with a lot of details um (laughs) go as deep or deep as you want so i was playing guitar for pressure point and we played a show um at that point we were like kind of like we had we were like kind of shaking off a bit of the skate punk thing. Um, I was really into like, well, I want to say I was like really into it, but like I was just started kind of started getting into like, um, you know, like grade uh, yeah, and yeah. maybe some like EVR bands. Yep. Saves the day. Um, stuff like that. So like, I kind of wanted to like be less octave. Yeah. Uh, skate punk and like, kind of like more, mid-tempo uh emotive like yeah. guitar bridges and yeah. you know um so we were kind of like transitioning into like i guess like a emo influenced punk band you know small brown bike bands like that yep. were like the band that i was like you know hot water music um so we had kind of started like being taken a little more seriously i guess the, the fucking names was still terrible <laughs> Uh, and the, the songs weren't good, but we were being taken taken more seriously. Um, so anyway, we, we played a show with this band called Compromise, who was, um, at the time, like, I guess, one of the only, like, kind of, like, metalcore bands in the city. Probably the only metalcore band in the city. Yeah. So we played a show with them, uh, and I kind of, like, just, like, hit it off, like, talking with the dudes. I had never met them before. And uh, they were like, well, yeah, our guitar player is quitting. Uh, do you want to play guitar for our band? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I started playing guitar for Compromise. Um, and after doing that for like a couple months, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to quit Pressure Point and just play guitar for Compromise. Um, so I was doing that. Just, out, for, like, just because it was too busy or you kind of had lost the passion for Pressure Point? Uh, yeah, I think a little a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and also I just don't think I was like really like – thinking very like logically i think i was like i can only be in one band (laughs) i just like (laughs) like i'll be in this band i can't be in the other band um so i played with compromise for like i don't know like six 
six months or something. And then I quit. Uh, it, I just wasn't vibing. I, I don't know what it was. Like, I, I, I like the guys, and, you know, uh, I'm still, like, Jesse from Misery Signals, who sings from Misery Signals, he sang in Compromise. So it's like, oh, wow. yeah, like, this is, here we are 20 years later, we're still in bands together. Yeah. But it's like, uh, yeah, I just wasn't vibing on it. Anyway, so I quit, and then I started playing with Pressure Point again. <laughs> okay. Welcome you back. Like, Compromise is like, yo, we're moving to Toronto. Uh, we're going to tour across Canada to, to move. Uh, Pressure Point should come with us on tour. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Like, we, Pressure Point had done, like, one, like, fucking really terrible tour before that that was just 90% cancellations and Good. just nonsense, you know? Um, but we are like, yeah, okay, so we'll go on tour. So we, we did this tour with Compromise. It was, like, maybe, like, seven shows and... 13 days or something it was just again just like poorly organized but yeah um we did it nonetheless and that was sort of my first exposure to touring um and like also which is like kind of weird too is is i mean on that same tour was uh there was like a really bad van accident uh that compromise was in and two of the guys in compromise actually passed away in that accident so it's like a weird thing that sort of my first exposure to touring was like this like amazing thing of being out there and playing music and then to have it all like kind of wrap up in this devastating tragedy uh, that I think for a lot of the other people that were involved in both bands um, put a plug on them ever going on tour again, you know? Yeah. So is that what is that what the Misery Signals doco is about? Uh, part of it, yeah. Oh, sorry, that's yeah. yeah, yeah, the early, the yeah, yeah. There's definitely like a big section of the the documentary that's uh, based around that because okay. I mean that's a that's sort of a huge part of the history of Misery Signals is yeah, you know this this accident happening um, because that kind of like sparked everything that followed, you know? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, like, without you know, if, if it's too, if it's too personal, like, feel free to just say you don't want to talk about it or whatever. But like, mm. how far into the tour did that happen? Like, night one um, or like, had you got? We to... were pre- we were pretty much at the end of it. So okay, we had played like Edmonton through Winnipeg down into Minneapolis, uh, and then we had gone over to, uh, I think it was Indiana. This is where we were. I think it was Warsaw, Indiana was the last show that we played with Compromise. And it was uh, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, Death for Every Sin, Compromise, Pressure Point, somebody else. I don't even know. There was probably like 12 bands on the bill, yeah. for all I remember. Um, so we were like pretty far into the tour, I guess. Like that was the last show that we were playing with Compromise. We went up to Toronto from there. Uh, and then we did like... Uh, I think we did a couple shows with the Full Blast, I think. Maybe I'm just making that up. But we went up to Toronto. I, f- I think we played. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and Compromise continued down south into the States with Death of Every Sin and Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. Um, <clears throat> and then it was probably like three or four days after that last show with them that the accident happened. Yeah. So we, we had been in Toronto, we played the show, and then we were driving back to, to Edmonton. And we were just outside 
Regina, I think, which is in, in Saskatchewan. Mm. Um, you're just outside the, the city there when, when I got a call about the accident. So, yeah, we, we maybe played like two or three shows after the last show with Compromise. Yeah, right. Well, that was heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's, dude, it's, you know. I mean, yeah. It's one of those things that we could, I, you know, I could talk about this for three podcasts, you know. Yeah. Like, there's, there's so many little uh, details of that, that story, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to go through when you're of that age. It was my first, like, real experience with tragedy. Uh, and, yeah. and having somebody close to me pass away that wasn't like a relative, you know, yeah, like had like a friend, you know, somebody that like, you know, one of your close friends to 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 pass away is a, a pretty heavy thing at that age, and especially to have two of them pass away <laughs> at once, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, and I mean, these are these were my best friends at the time, you know, these were my roommates and my my, you know, bandmates and. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, what what do you think it was about? Why do you think you kept going going with it as opposed to because you know as you kind of mentioned, most people would probably just shut it down, like and, yeah. and walk away. Yeah, like what what do you think? Why do you think you kept going? I mean, yeah, of of the the guys in compromise and, and pressure point, you know, the the, the ten of us. Um, Some people were unable to tour for a while. You know, some of the guys in Compromise were pretty badly injured after that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of mental stress that comes along with that as well. Um, you know, and, and you know, Jesse ended up doing Misery Signals. Junior junior drum techs for Tool, you know, like he's... Wow. He's, he's, he's got a band called All Hail the Yeti that are like kind of like a heavy metal band. <laughs> All Hail the Yeti. Uh, yeah. That's great. Uh, but I mean, like... It's fucking crazy. Drum techs are tool. Like he's Danny Carey's right hand man, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Graham went on to play like the guy from the Pressure Point. Graham he went on to play for Belvedere. This is a standoff. Um, you know he did lots of touring after that. Okay. That as well. Um, so I mean, yeah, no, it was just a thing. Like I, I still wanted to play music. I still had a drive for it. I still had a passion for it. I mean, like, especially in the wake of everything that had happened. Um, it would almost seem like, you know, it wasn't the main reason that I kept on playing, but it would almost seem like insulting um, to give up on something that my friends cared about so much that they lost their lives over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's just something that like, it was something that we were all so passionate about that I think was like something that was a big part of our friendships and, you know, it was a, a big element of our friendship was all our love of music, you know? Mm. Um, so I think part of dealing with that was continuing on playing music. Um, so, you know, I, I still played with Pressure Point a bit when we were home. We had another band called The Hollywood Ending, which, fuck, it is a terrible name. <laughs> um, but you can find some stuff on YouTube. It's, you know, it's not that bad. It's it's pretty, like, techy. Yeah. Um skate punk meets post hardcore or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we did that band for a bit. And then I just, uh, we played a show one night and Jesse came back. So after compromise, Jesse had gone down to 
the States and he started singing for Seven Angels, Seven Plagues shortly after the accident. Yeah. Uh, so he'd been touring with them and then that band kind of dissolved pretty quickly. And then they started Misery Signals like the next day, basically. They're like, okay, well, new band. These are the songs we were writing for 7A. They're now this new band. Um, so, and that band was like, they wrote an EP, recorded, got on tour, and they were like, you know, it was like so fast. Um, and then basically like a few months into that band, their guitar player quit, kind of like in the middle of the tour. Jesse came home for a little while and he came to the show I was playing. I was just hanging out with him and he was like, yeah, our guitar play quit. I don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, oh, I'll play guitar. And uh, that was it, man. And then I just, just started, like I, I went down to the States. Uh, you know, I spent like a week or two learning the songs. And then I went down to the States and started playing guitar for Misery Signals. And I was a terrible guitar player. So <laughs> thankfully, they just like, I think they were probably just like, fuck, well, we got to go on tour. And then we probably did that tour. And they were like, well, I guess this dude's not a complete loser. So yeah. he can be in the band. Yeah. <laughs> His niceness uh, makes up for his lack of guitar ability. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, how, do, how do you juggle a band that's kind of half Canadian, half American? Like, is it a shit fight getting across borders and, and that kind of thing? Because I, mean, I, I take oh, it it was at a time when, you know, obviously there wasn't the social media and there wasn't the download speeds and the accessibility of recording stuff wasn't as like, you know, mm -hmm. load up garage band and off you go. Like, how do you juggle that or how do you maintain that? Oh, man. At the time, it was a nightmare <laughs> uh, because we were not doing it legally. Like, we were not on work visas. We were just, like, going into the States and, like... Just crossing over. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Here we go. You know? uh, but, like, dude, we would do some wild shit. Like, like... <laughs> man, I, I don't even know. Like, some of this stuff is criminal. Yeah. <laughs> but we were just, like... I don't know, like, fill... Like, we would, like, open guitar cabinets and fill them with merch. Okay, take, take the in. back off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, we would send, like, one person with the van, like, through the border into America. Like, so, like, say, like, Misery Signals came up to, somehow they got into Canada, and then we would, like, rehearse in Edmonton. We'd play some shows, and then when we were crossing back into the States, just, like, the Americans would go in the van only, and then we would, like, go in a car separately. We'd, like, get a friend to drive, like, all the way to the border. Which is how then, far? Like, like, in time-wise, how far? Sometimes, like, 15 hours, depending <laughs> on where we were coming from, you know? Um, and this, you know, they would, like, drive us across the border, and they would be like, okay, cool, thanks for the favor, and they'd just fucking go home, and then we'd go on tour. Jesus. Um, dude, there was times where, like, our van got impounded. I remember, like, one time we were coming back to Canada. Um, dude, this was, like, totally wild. <laughs> dude, I don't even know, like, I'll tell you, I don't even know if it can be, like, used. I think they talk about it in the documentary, so I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> but we, were, like, we were, like, coming back from, um, or we were going to start a tour in Canada. Maybe we even played, like, a couple shows before. Yeah, you know what? We did, which is kind of odd, because the first show that I ever played with Misery Signals was with Comeback Kid, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was Misery Signals, Comeback Kid, and uh, I think they were called The Good Fight. It was the guys from, like, Harvest. Um Anyway, Minneapolis show. So we played that show, and then I think we split up. So Jesse took the van just himself to cross the border. I had a car with me because I'd driven down to Milwaukee. Uh, so I took Kyle and Brandon with me in the car. Ryan had, like, a criminal charge at the time. So he crossed the border uh, on a Greyhound with his brother's ID. 
Oh, Jesus. Okay. So he went across, yeah, he went across the border on a ground with his brother's ID. And then he like called us and was like, I'm in. And then we we're like, okay. So then we went to a different border and like different border crossing and yeah. went in. So we got in, but then Jesse was at a third border crossing. So we're going like all the way across Canada, like the Canadian border right now, like three different places, like hours and hours away. Um, <laughs> and Jesse, like they basically just, they're like, you're a Canadian. Why do you have this van? Blah, 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 blah. They like impound the van and they like basically arrest Jesse. Uh, they hold on to him for like a few hours and then they're just like, well, this isn't your van. You can't take it. You're not bringing it into Canada. And this was so loaded they, with the gear. Yeah. So they like, they basically were just like, you can leave. So he like walked into Canada <laughs> and we were like almost in Edmonton. And I remember him calling and being like, I'm on fucking highway something in like Saskatchewan. So we had to like turn around and drive like seven hours back. Oh. And we we're like, okay, well, we'll be there in like six or seven hours. He's like, I'll just walk. I'll be walking down the highway. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we just like found him on the highway. And then we went and drove back to Edmonton. And we started a tour with like Figure Four. Um, so Figure Four, Figure Four, and Come Back Here were going at the same time. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we started that tour, and yeah, I think we just borrowed. We probably borrowed Figure Four's gear or somebody's gear until we got into the states, and then we went and picked up the impounded van and, <laughs> and carried on. It is so silly. Like I remember, like one of the first times I crossed the border. Like, I had, like, my guitar cabinet and, like, all this shit going through. And the, the, the border guard was like, <laughs> like, you know, do you play in a band? And I was like, no, I'm just going to make jam with some friends, you know? Like, I'm like, what, you know, what yeah. the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then the guys, like, they're, like, going through my stuff, you know? And there's just, like, there's literally, for some reason, like, I don't even know why I have this. There's literally, like, a photo of me playing a show <laughs> in my bag. And he's like, what's this? And I was like. Uh, a band I played in before, you know, like it was just like so sketchy, man. Like I can't believe we got away with some of the shit we got away with. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, being half American, half Canadian was a nightmare for yeah. like years until we were like, okay, we just need to get work visas. I was and about then, to say, yeah, did it ever? Did you ever kind of make the plunge into doing it by the books? Well, not by the books, oh, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. yeah, the visas and yeah, whatnot. I've, yeah, I've had like a functioning work visa for the U.S. since like two thousand three. Oh wow, okay. We only dicked around for like a year being like criminal about it. And then we we're just like, this isn't, this is too risky. You know, like. How hard is that to maintain? Like, it just don't get a criminal, like to, you just not get a criminal record and they'll let you kind of keep having an American work visa or. Uh, so we apply like yearly. Yeah. Okay. You, you have to provide like a year, a year's itinerary with some, some specific contracts and agreements and stuff. Um, I haven't done it myself personally in like. 15 years i don't even know yeah um we've we've always just had like either management doing it or you know we have like a friend that does it for for comeback kid now yeah yeah and he he does it for misery signals as well yeah cool <clears throat> so i guess let's pick it have you got a song that kind of sums up beat misery signals or blah, sorry beat me misery signals or whoever else that kind of sums up i guess the early 20s Stu ross yeah dude uh, I'm gonna I'm go with a hot water tune. Oh, good. Um, so where we belong is the song. So I mean, I'm not completely sure what the song itself is about. Yeah, 
but the, the lyrics themselves have this sort of like unifying quality about uh, some sort of adversity that they collectively had faced, I assumed. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, and they're, they're, I'm looking at the lyrics right now, you know, there's no year could cut us like that one is. We don't sit and drown and wonder. Time passed, we failed, we crashed. But who's to say we can't start over? And it's just like, that song is like, there, there's not a more fitting song for that like era of my life. And like, I mean, that band to me at that time is was, or, you know, was so important at that time. Still is one of my favorite bands ever. Um, yeah, so that would be the tune, I think. The last part, which is where we're at now, is kind of 
it can go for like it's up to you. It can go for a long time or a short time, like mm. you know. But you've you're you've done a whole lot musically, like mm-hmm. like personal stuff aside. You've done a whole lot musically since kind of misery singles and stuff. Um, you know, off the top of my head, like you've you obviously you're in comeback kid as we mentioned before, but you did low talk, which I think is that first EP is fucking flawless. Um, you've done Youth Decay. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other shit that I haven't heard of. Like, like you're you're basically a, a touring, like a, a, a like an actual musician by occupation now, which is fucking amazing. Try to be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, try, yeah, try to be. So, like, how does you know how does the comeback kid thing fall into place? Um, how do, like what's what kind of like the the bands that you do that kind of only release an EP or. or couple of EPs or an album or so like how does that all kind of come together and like is it just does that happen on the downtime of comeback kid or like yeah yeah I suppose so like um so near the end of my time in misery signals I, I started playing with living with lions oh that's another um, band yeah and then so I uh misery signals was at a point where we were Ryan was about to have his first kid and we were talking about like going into a new record and I just wasn't feeling like inspired by, by the band, by the prospect of doing another record. Yeah. You know, we, we'd basically been on tour for like the last like decade, you know, and I was just burnt out. And I mean, it's, it's like a hard thing to put into words. I, because you know, walking away from something that you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into is a hard thing to do, but it, it just got to a point where I was like, I need a change. Yeah. Um, so I left misery signals and I did living with lions for about a year and a half. Um, which is fun. It's great. Those guys are some of my best friends. Um, you know, and two, and two of those, two of the guys from lions play and come back hit now as well. Yeah. Um, were you in? The, were you in? Were you in the band when the the Holy Shit album was released and there was a controversy because it was government, well, somewhat government funded, or you got the government grant? Like, were you part of that whole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that was that was like the the only record that I was ever on, I guess. Yeah. So that record, Holy Shit, we did in um, two thousand ten. And yeah, there was like a. <laughs> I mean, whoever's listening, if you don't know what the record is, the, the artwork looks like the Holy Bible, but yes. it just says "Holy shit." And uh, so there was like a, like a, a bit of like a controversy about it because ca- there's a Canadian funding arts funding called Factor, and we had taken funding from Factor to put towards the recording, and then. I can't even remember the goof's name, but he uh, <clears throat> he basically saw that it, the record was funded by Factor, and he was offended by the artwork, and then he went to the press and said, this is where your Canadian tax dollars are going, <laughs> you know? And it was national news. It was funny. It was, yeah. like, in newspapers and stuff. I remember my dad, like, calling me and, like, laughing about it. And, <laughs> I don't know. Fucking stupid. Yeah, it's wild. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so did that for a little while, and then, um, you know... So the guys in Low Talker uh, at the time were the bass player and guitar player from Comeback Kid and myself. Um, so 
there was just like a thing i think casey had said like you know i'm finished touring this was the guitar player for comeback yet he's just like i'm just kind of over it i'm gonna stop touring he was like you should play guitar for comeback yet and i was like I, you're right i should dude. Yes. that's a great idea, <laughs> Good idea. Yes. So, i mean i'd known andrew and jeremy for years and years and years yeah um so i basically just forced my way into the band yep. you know i just uh, in the true started, 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 yeah, yeah started texting andrew and i was like dude i'm gonna play guitar in the band it's like yeah you know you can come come for a tour we'll try it out and i was like no no i'll play guitar for the <laughs> yeah. band and, and yeah. basically just forced my way in yep yep so and so how do you make that work like i guess obviously now it's a lot easier um with technology as opposed to what you were doing with misery signals but you know, how do you guys make that work with the writing process? Are you a big part of it or? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the past, I think the way the band had worked is Andrew and Jeremy would, it would write everything. Yep. Um, then on die knowing, um, they kind of gave me like some liberties to some creative liberties. Uh, you know, I was around when the record was being written. Yep. I had input. Um, there's one song on that record. That's like one of my songs. Yep. Um, and then I played, you know, some guitar here and there, in the studio like i was there when we were tracking and stuff um but then with outsider um the the liberties expanded man you know i just i yeah, wrote cool. you know that record that record it's is like kind of like split down the middle like jeremy wrote three or four songs i wrote three or four songs andrew wrote three or four songs um and then you know like right now i guess we're kind of like in the process of writing a new record yeah um andrew and i text pretty like frequently and and like exchange demos um i'm like fucking nuts though man because i i i spend so much time writing music like right now like i can show you on my phone and like i just i just go nuts man i've got like right now i've got 19 comeback hit demos fuck for like this for this record uh you can't really see it oh yeah 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 Whatever. I, you know, there's sometimes where I, you know, I'll write like five songs in a week. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean like fully completely, like I'll just like get the, the ideas down for them. And then I always go back, you know, I go back, you know, a couple weeks later and revise things or yeah. like I, at this point, I like, I like to sit on things for a while arrangement wise before I like give them to anybody else in the band, because I don't want to send them something that I'm excited about. And then like three days later be like oh shit that park could have been better yeah you know, whatever yeah uh, well one thing one thing i heard you say recently again on the oblivious maximum podcast maximus podcast was um and i thought it was really interesting because i'd never thought of it about this way but like when when you write stuff it's you shouldn't dismiss it too quickly because you know even a weird sounding guitar riff like in your case will sound like comeback kid when the vocals are there Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really interesting, and that's, and you know, that's kind of, that's harping back on what I said earlier. Like, that's why I get really weird about writing stuff because I can never hear the whole picture until you know, yeah. until the singer kind of lays it down, and you go, oh no, this is, this is what it's meant to be. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of a crazy thing with comeback hit too. It's like, you know, I could write a song where I'm like, yeah, this, I love this progression. I love the way the guitars are playing off each other. I love the feel. I love the tempo. But if the vocals like don't jive, then it's just like, well, yeah. that was a cool demo that's never going to be used for anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Put, um, yeah, keep that one in the back pocket for the next band. Yeah, for the next so, I mean, project. If you're somebody like Andrew, who is the singer in the band, who also writes, you know, quite a bit of the material, he's got that advantage because he can just be like, 
well, I'm going to make it cool no matter what, man, because yeah. I, I get to pick how it goes, you know? But, yep, yep. So. It's cool. I'm like, honestly, like, like I said, I, I produce so much music at home that, like, I'm so used to stuff not being used, man. Like, it's, dude. Yeah. Again, for, like, Outsider, I think I had, like, 24 songs. Jesus. You know, and we used, like, four, four of them, you know? And, like, right now, for whatever this new record will be, I've got, like I said, I think there's, yeah, there's 19 songs right now. And then even for, like, you know, the new Misery Signals record, it'll be out in a couple months. And, you know, I've already got three demos for that, you know, for another record. Fuck. So, just, it's like, I, you know, it's all I do when I'm home at this point, you know. It's like, I go to the gym and that takes an hour and a half and then I make breakfast. <laughs> and then, hang out with, and hang then, out with your you beautiful know, wife. Yeah, well, I mean, she's working during the day usually. Yeah. So, it's like. Most most days I'm just home for you know there's like six hours of the day where I'm like, okay well I guess I'll just like work on music and usually like I'll just pick up the guitar and you know I'll like find a progression that I think is cool and then four hours later I've got sort of like a basis for a demo or whatever you know that's right yeah I, no I I love it it's it's fun to do I love making like home demos and like I feel like I'm getting more like. I'm almost becoming like a little too, like particular or like OCD about stuff. Like yeah, yeah, because you've got you the know, time like, too, I guess. Well, yeah. Now I'm like actually like editing, like like editing tracks and like making sure things are like locked in, like perfect timing to clicks and stuff. Just like probably going way too too deep into it, you know. Yeah. Especially for stuff that like maybe doesn't get used, you know. It's like okay, well, whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> hey. Uh, thank you very much. I'm so stoked to get to chat to you. I mean, I'm so stoked to get to chat to you regardless, but I'm so stoked to actually <laughs> record it as well. Um, is there anything you want to kind of, I guess, you know, I guess it's kind of hard to plug stuff at the moment because there's nothing really happening. But um, when it all yeah. kicks back off, you, you have, you've got Misery Signal tours and you've got Comeback Kid tours kind of again, eventually yeah, going mean, to happen. Everything's being pushed, you know. Uh, right now we're pushing things to the end of the year, but who knows? I mean, that probably seems unrealistic at this point. Yeah. Um, so hopefully next year, I don't know. In the meantime, it's just going to be, be at home writing a lot of songs on my computer. Just, just more <laughs> riffs, more riffs, baby. Yeah. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, man, no, it's, it's been a blast. It's always good to chat with you. Like, yeah, we got, we got a lot of common ground to, to rap about. So, and maybe we'll do punk rock bowling in a few years. Yeah, hopefully, man. Yeah. Hopefully. Again, yeah. See, yeah, that or something. We'll do. We'll figure something out. Yeah, that's for sure. Or you know, like twenty twenty one, fucking punking drublet tour. You need a good guitar tech. Yeah. Or just yeah. an Australian yeah. to kind of make you laugh or whatever. I'll come. Oh, hey. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Yeah. That. All right. No, thank you very much, dude. I really appreciate. it. Send my love to Nat. Um. Yeah. Thank you. This song is Sunset on 32nd Street by Strike Anywhere. Strike Anywhere is a band that I fell in love with from the first time I ever heard them. Really great punk band with a, a lot of really great things to say. Um, this song speaks about police injustice and police brutality, uh, which unfortunately is a very relevant topic at the moment. Um, so I'm going to sign off here. Thanks a lot for having me, Joel. Enjoy the song. Everybody take care of yourselves. When they broke down the door with the cards in the face of your wife and child And as they pin you to the floor
All right, thank you for listening to all this. Um, if you dig what you hear, you know, check us out on the socials. If you if you're into it, send me a dollar or send me don't send me a dollar. You don't have to. It's always going to be free. Uh, but if you feel the need, go to PayPal.me/slash/myagepodcast. But you don't need to. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be free. Um, it's getting you know slightly easier and easier to do this and yeah whatever. So until next time, kill. Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And a long stem rose Everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it Everybody knows that it's moving.
Everybody. 